Oh, friends, it's such a wonderful time of year. Eggnog, peppermint mochas, decorations, and 17 verses of biblical genealogy. Ah, Christmas. Since this is the part of the Bible we have all memorized in our hearts and cross-stitched on our pillows, I won't read it all. But I do think it would help you to have it out in front of you. So pause for a second if you don't yet have a Bible and open up Matthew chapter 1. Then let's continue on. I just want to point out a few things to note as we go along here. First, verse 1 says, An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So this is the first one here. Jesus, then who? David, then Abraham. Now about Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. So this is a really efficient way to call to mind Israel's origin story. The first promises of God, the first child Isaac, because God kept his promise. The first 12 brothers who became 12 tribes and eventually a nation because God kept his promise. Jump to verse 6, which says, Jesse, the father of King David. This is the only other mention of David in the list, but by putting it at the top, And right in the middle, that's all a first century Jewish person would need to understand what Matthew has in mind. David's the model for a king to them, in part for historical reasons, like conquering Jerusalem, which is where the temple is now, but also for symbolic ones, like being a king who trusted Yahweh and didn't look to idols or lead the people away towards idols. He represents a time when Israel was faithful. David, you may remember, was Israel's second king after Saul. God had not wanted Israel to have a king at all. The idea was for God to be their king, but they insisted. And Saul was something of a failed experiment in monarchy, but then David. David becomes the dream king, victorious, powerful, charismatic, and finding a way to basically put his trust in God through life's ups and downs. And there were many downs, given that his family is a total mess and he makes some terrible choices. God promised David that there would be an heir who would rule over Israel forever. But unlike Abraham, this promise hasn't seemed to happen. Then in verse 12, Matthew writes this short phrase, And after the deportation to Babylon, and the genealogy continues on. Exile. Taken over by Babylon, their leaders and rulers taken away. And all of it brought about because of generations of choices to walk away from God and towards idols, the opposite of what King David led them towards. And so in a lot of ways, exile is a consequence that they brought on themselves. Exile is the seeming end of the promises. Now finally jump to read verses 16 and 17, please. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14, and from David to deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. And we'll pause there, but we'll come back to the text again in a bit. Ending on numbers would have really helped a first century Jewish listener tune into Matthew's perspective. What Matthew saw was Jesus as the culmination of Israel's story thus far. And a tidy way to show that is to use the symbol of the number seven, which because of the creation narrative of being a seven-day experience, it represented everything coming to fulfillment or being complete or being finished. 
N.T. Wright points out that this is also a set of six lists of seven. Now, Curtis will also mention this in the backdrop, but as far as using the number 14, that's a way to kind of have a fun alphanumeric code, like my kids like to use, where each letter corresponds to a number 14 would spell out David. And Curtis will walk you through that a bit more, but it's the one-two punch of showing fulfillment and showing Jesus as being the king that fulfills the Davidic prophecy. So the point that Matthew wants his readers to catch on, and they would have done it more quickly, we're a bit more removed, but he wants us to see that Jesus is the one who brings it all together. Matthew, as a biographer, is especially interested in the ways that God and Jesus is connecting the dots from the Old Testament to Christ. He's interested in the threads that weave from Genesis to Abraham to David to exile and form the fabric of the Jewish identity and story. He wonders about God's promises in the past and the way Jesus not only fulfills them, but also makes new ones. All that to say, despite appearances to us now, these 17 verses of genealogy would have been not only understood by Matthew's readers, but also meaningful to them. It's a story. It is most of all a story of God keeping God's promises to a people who knew what God promised, needed God to keep God's promises, and were just living in the waiting. So what about you? What promise do you need Jesus to keep this Christmas season? What promises are you waiting on? By starting with Abraham and David, we are meant to immediately key in promises. God promised Abraham and Sarah they'd be a great family, a people belonging to God. And God promised them a land. They'd be special to God, but also given this amazing role as ones to reflect God out to the world, like light bouncing off a mirror and brightening everything. And God promised David there would be an heir who would rule over Israel forever. First Kings 9.5 sums it up well as an example. God's speaking to one of David's sons and says, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised your father David, saying, There shall not fail you a successor on the throne of Israel. What I love is that the way God keeps this promise also restores God's original dream. God becomes our king, like God always hoped to be, and there's no human king for the people anymore. And then as king, Jesus invites us into a kingdom full of life and abundance, joy and peace. And then exile, exiles the seeming end of the promises. And there's just been waiting. Matthew is here to say that while exile may seem to be the end of the promises, it's not the end of the promises. They are both being kept and new ones are being made. And so he sets up this list in such a way as to anchor his readers in the fulfilled promises that they thought had been forgotten. All the Old Testament stories come to their completion in this person. Jesus is the end of this part of the story because our God has kept his promises in Jesus. In recalling all these ancestors, in connecting Jesus to Abraham and David, in showing God as promise keeper to the readers, Matthew's saying, this is a story's ending. The culmination of Israel's story so far. Matthew shows how Jesus is the fulfillment, the end of the Old Testament story of God and Israel. Jesus is the embodiment of promises kept, even when hopes he's lost. He's the true king, the one who will reign with goodness and justice and only ever lead the people toward God, never away, forever. This is a story's ending. It's also a story's beginning. Jesus is the beginning of the new covenant. God's making new promises. New promises like God's kingdom is among us and everyone 
even the Gentiles, are invited to join into life within it. Another way to phrase how Matthew starts this whole book is to call the genealogy a family tree. That's how N.T. Wright translates it. We might also be familiar with the way that Paul then will pick up on a similar image of a tree in Romans chapter 11. He calls those of us who meet Jesus and are Gentiles grafted in like a branch that's added to the root of a different tree, but then emerges with it to truly be part of that tree. The family tree includes Gentiles grafted in. Matthew has that image first, but Paul is picking up on and then expanding that metaphor. Jesus's family tree keeps growing, and we are eventually part of it. And in a similar way to how Matthew's family tree is not strictly the ancestors in exact literal order, but rather something of an interpreted representation, the family tree of our faith grows in a similar way. It may be that some of us have joined it because of our ancestors, our literal family who introduced us to Jesus. But a lot of our family tree actually grows because someone else introduced us to Jesus. Someone else invited us into the family. In fact, there are four people who conspicuously stand out in this family tree for a few reasons. So if you want to pop back to looking at Matthew 1, it may help you here. First, in verse 3, it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And then in verse 6, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba doesn't get her own name here. But that's in part because it's Uriah the Hittite. And this is what we want to get to. Insofar as genealogy is usually there to establish someone's unique ancestry and authority, and that's true here too, to establish Jesus's credentials through his ancestors, including these four women detracts from that goal. They don't make this all look good. Not, by the way, because of their sin, which is a common assertion because, well, patriarchy has done that to the interpretation of scripture. But actually, what's really shocking about their presence is that these women make the men look bad, except possibly Ruth. Here's what's so cool, though, about the inclusion of these four women to me. This is a family tree for Israel with Gentiles in it. And the Gentiles included are women. It's like the one-two punch to point out that God is inviting everyone into the family, even them. Why include them if you're Matthew? Because God includes them. God's including everyone. This good news is for everyone. This story of a promise-keeping God is for everyone. This man, Jesus, is for everyone. So this is a genealogy. But what Matthew saw and invites us to see is that this is also a story of a God who has kept promises, will keep promises, and is making new promises still. This is a story of a God who has come to restore the world to its holistic goodness, a story that ends with Jesus, a story that begins with Jesus, and as each of us meets Jesus, thankfully, a story that includes us too. And so as Christmas comes... May there be joy within you, peace upon you, love flowing through you, all for the glory of the God whose story goes on and on.